Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Oh, good morning. It is great to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? So I brought a gift, and this is an actual gift too. This is going to my son and daughter-in-law, so it's getting shipped off this week. Um, so no, it's, it's not a gift for someone in the room. Don't anyone start running up here going, oh, he's giving something away. But, but as I got thinking about our text, I thought, tis the season, right? Anybody have something kind of wrapped sitting around your house already? Has any guy in the room started shopping yet? <laughs> okay, job, Richard. Um, yeah, tis the season, right? I mean, the, the gifts. I, anybody else as a kid kind of climb under the tree and unwrap something because you just wanted to see what it was? <laughs> it was really just me. I'm the only one that did that. Anybody else shoot out the Christmas ornaments with your BB gun? As a kid, I never thought my brother and I was like such a cool thing. It was like, these little glass things are exploding. As a kid, I never stopped and thought, where does that BB go once it penetrates that ornament? And I realized it was going into mom's flocked wallpaper in the, in the living room. <clears throat> uh, we did everything we could to talk mom to leave in the Christmas tree up till like June, but it didn't happen. Um, but as a kid, you know, you're just, you're so excited about the gifts and you wonder what's in there. And, and you know, there, there's so much excitement that, uh, fills the air, the anticipation that's in the air, the anticipation and excitement in our hearts, right? Uh, because we have these dreams, we have these longings and, and these desires that begin to fill our minds, they begin to fill our hearts, they begin to fill our Christmas wish list. We're just like Ralphie. I mean, there's all these things that, that it's like all of a sudden these, these longings and these dreams. And, and so we begin to dream and, and imagine what is beneath the wrapper, uh, what's inside there? And, and we can't wait uh, until our, ex- our experience and our excitement becomes fulfilled, whenever that is, right? Christmas morning, um, maybe you do it on Christmas Eve, Christmas evening, Christmas, you know, what, but whenever you get to open the gift, there's an excitement and an anticipation that is realized, and, and when it's fully realized, something happens in our heart because it could be that very thing that we longed for or not, right? Oh man, fruit of the loom, right? <laughs> Jockey, you know? And kids are dreaming for the iPad, the iPod, the puppy, the, you know, someone's waiting to look out in the, in the driveway and see the car with the big red bow on it. I mean, so, you know, there, there's something that takes place when all the anticipation is finally realized because the gift is open and the truth of what's behind all the wrapping is now exposed. Those are exciting moments, aren't they? Sometimes we get those things that will go back. Sometimes we get the things that we longed for. 
Sometimes there's excitement, sometimes there's joy, sometimes there's disappointment, sometimes there's anger, sometimes there's frustration, but everything that is realized or revealed elicits some kind of a response and some kind of an emotion. The definition, the, the dictionary defines realized as to become fully aware of something as a fact to understand clearly. And so when a gift is fully realized, it's fully understood, we fully are aware. It becomes truth, it becomes fact because it is understood clearly. As we continue our series this morning in anticipating Christmas, I want us to see that the gift is realized when the gift is fully revealed. We become fully aware of the gift. The gift becomes a fact, and we understand it clearly, and it will elicit some type of response. And so as we've been moving through this anticipating Christmas series, we're looking at a passage together this morning that may be a little bit less familiar, but we're familiar with the characters and the idea because it immediately fits the Christmas narrative. So through this series, we're asking the questions about anticipating Christmas, right? What are you waiting for? Well, what are you hoping for this Christmas? And today we explore why we can anticipate more this Christmas because Jesus was revealed. Jesus was revealed. Our, our anticipation has been fully and completely realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible this morning, I trust you do, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. There's been a 400-year period of silence between the Old Testament and now the New Testament as, as the, the church is now being born. Jesus is being revealed. The gift is about to descend upon us. And so Matthew begins his story, his recollection of the life of Jesus by recounting several selected events around the birth of Jesus. He begins in chapter 1 giving us the genealogy of Jesus, which was absolutely vital because there were hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, who, that were telling us exactly who the Messiah would be. And so it's important to know that Jesus fit the narrative, right? He, his genealogy establishes Jesus' ancestry very clearly that he was a legitimate descendant of David and he was a rightful candidate for the messianic throne. And so Matthew begins to lay out his physical genealogy, and then he gives us his divine genealogy, his divine her, um, uh, heredity in, in Matthew chapter 1 from 18 down to 25. So Matthew's covering both sides, both the physical and the spiritual. And then the rest of what we call Matthew's, right, infant narrative, in other words, the, the infancy of Jesus is comprised literally of just quotations from the Old Testament that were prophecies about the coming Messiah. 
And then he tells us how that played out in Jesus' life. And so he gives us a picture of his virgin birth and his role as, as God in Matthew chapter 1, which is simply fulfilling Isaiah chapter 7 and the prophecy that was there 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He goes on to tell us about his birth in Bethlehem, which we'll look at this morning, which again, we'll see it in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He tells us about his refugee years in, in Egypt uh, that came from Hosea chapter 1. He goes on, Matthew tells us about his upbringing in Nazareth and his messianic role because that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11. And so these all become critical to understand the significance of the revelation of this man whose name is Jesus. And so in our text this morning, I want you to see how Jesus is revealed. He's realized first and foremost by his name. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible, say, I'm ready. ready. Awesome. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And as we read through the first four verses, uh, I simply want you to identify three critical names that are attributed to Jesus. And I'll point them out as we go. Now, after Jesus, there's the first one, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, how many many of you have a Bible that says wise men? How many of you have a Bible that says magi? Okay, great. Thanks for the interaction this morning. They came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born? Here's your second name, king of the Jews. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, hang on to that word, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, here's your third name, where the Christ was to be born. We see the birth of the Christ. The Christ. When, when you hear the name Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is both a name and a title. He is Jesus the Christ. That literally means anointed one or Messiah. So here Herod is acknowledging that Jesus the Christ is to be born. He understands it. He knows it. The scribes, the Pharisees that we're introduced to here know it. The Magi know it, that there is to be born one who is to be called the King of the Jews, the Christ, the Messiah, and his name is Jesus. Of course it is, right? Luke chapter 1, as the angel appeared to Mary, he said, you are well favored, and you will conceive a child, and you will call his name, what? Jesus. So just as Mary was instructed, and in Matthew chapter 1, we see the account, which is right up in verse 21, as the angel appeared to Joseph, he said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, because what she has conceived is from God. And she will give birth to a son, and you will call him, what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So of course his name is Jesus. Because Mary and Joseph in obedience did exactly as God told them. He is Jesus. He is born the King of the Jews. From the line of David, the tribe of Judah, the line of Jesse, he was to be born and given the name Jesus. And so we see the name that's attributed to him. 
He lived this sinless life. The church as we know it, we exist today because of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, as the New Testament church is birthed in the book of Acts, we see it because very clearly Peter is making this declaration. He said, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. Merry Christmas, there is no other way to salvation except through this man whose name is Jesus. You cannot earn it. It is a gift that is given to you. It is fully realized and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And so it's interesting because whenever Jesus and his truth is revealed, there must always be a response on our part. You see, some of you know the name of Jesus. Some of you have heard the name of Jesus. You've talked about the name of Jesus. You've come and sung songs about the name of Jesus. You've attended church. Maybe you've taken Lord's Supper that we're going to do in a little bit. Maybe you've been baptized, but you've never trusted in the name of Jesus. You've never received this precious gift whose name is Jesus. You can know about it and not receive it. You can know him but not truly come into relationship with him. And we see that in this text because we see that, that the revelation of Jesus is, always re is also revealed by the people in this text. So I wanna look at these characters for just a moment. You have some critical characters that we know all about because they're on our Christmas cards, right? And, and we know it in the Christmas story. We've heard of Herod, haven't you? Have you heard of these magi? How many were there? No, there was not three, okay? There were not three. That's a lie. They did not show up at the stable when Jesus was laying in the manger. That's not true. We're going to see it in the text. Truthfully, we don't know how many they were, but the Magi are a critical part of the Christmas narrative. Now, we know they brought three gifts, so we want to assume they brought three, or that there were three guys each carrying a gift. Matter of fact, through church history, church historians have actually given names to these guys, but there's no biblical accuracy to that because we really don't know. What we do know is this. Let me set this up because you have Herod, you have these magi or wise men, and in this text, we are introduced to the chief priests and scribes who are the religious people. I would say us, right? We're not Herod. We're not king. We're not the wise men as much as we want to be, probably, right? But so we're not the Magi, we're not Herod. I, I think we're probably more like the chief priests and the scribes. We're the religious people. We know all about Jesus. We know all about the stuff. You even see them quoting scripture, but they're not encountering the Messiah. So let, let's just understand exactly what's taking place here. You have this region of Judea. And you have Jerusalem. That's where Herod is. Uh, the, the region of Judea and the city of Jerusalem very specifically was part of the Roman Empire. They were under Roman rule at this point. So Caesar Augustus was large and in charge. And pretty much to, to uh, it was almost like Jerusalem, Judea area was almost on the boundary between the Roman Empire to the west and the Medo-Persian Empire to the east, kind of moving up into the Fertile Crescent area. And so you had these two massive powers and there was a struggle taking place. 
Because power is all about land grab. It's all about people. It's all about authority. It's all about rule. And so here's Jerusalem under Roman rule, but there's also this large Medo-Persian empire, and there's battles taking place. And so it's into this tension that you have this little pawn. His name is Herod. Uh, Herod is under the guise of, of being in charge, but he's a temporary king ruling over the Jewish people from Jerusalem. But he's really only in charge because Augusta uh, Caesar has given him uh, some level of authority because he's trying to keep the Jewish people in reign. So he's simply saying, if you do the things I want you to do and keep your people in check, I'll let you stay in power. So now what happens is into this tension comes these wise men, these magi. These guys are literally known as kingmakers, okay? Their history goes back into the Babylonian Empire. We see some interaction with Daniel in them. So they are fully aware through the teaching of Daniel about the true one Jehovah God. And these magi, these kingmakers are in power and authority. It's sort of an eclectic priestly line of guys who are incredibly intelligent, very wise in arithmetic and science and astronomy. And because they have so much power and so much pull, nothing is happening in the Medo-Persian empire without their say-so. Because no one is placed in charge if these guys don't say yes. And so this is not some small little nomadic group that simply wanders into Jerusalem. When these guys show up, this is an entourage. It is more than likely that hundreds, potentially even up into the thousands, are traveling with these guys because they are large and in charge. They are the kingmakers, and nothing is going to happen in this empire if they don't grant it. So it's no surprise that verse 3 of our text tells us that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was afraid that they were about to be conquered. He was afraid that his rule was about to end because these guys who are kingmakers coming from Persia are now stepping into Roman territory. And so it's no surprise if they were simply little nomads riding around on camels with a little box of frankincense or gold or myrrh, who would have known that? But they rode into town and everybody in town knew about it. And Herod was troubled. So what did he do? He summoned, not the Magi at first, he summoned the chief priests and the scribes and said, so where is this king of the Jews to be born? And they said, what? They quote scripture. Isn't this phenomenal? They quote scripture. Let's pick up our text if we can for just a moment because what we begin to understand is that our traditional manger scenes that that are all assembled together are wrong. Something happened, right? They're not out at the stable. It's not Mary and Joseph. The shepherds are no longer there. They're gone, right? And they, they have now moved from the stable wherever that might have been. There's a lot of questions as to what that stable really was. Um, but they have moved from there to the house. We see the Magi come into the house. But Herod is troubled. All of Jerusalem is troubled because this huge entourage of power and authority has rolled into the city and they want to know where this man is who is to be born king of the Jews. So let's pick it up in verse 5, Matthew chapter 2. 
They told him, this is the chief priests and the scribes told him, that's Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And so here's the chief priests and the scribes, the religious people quoting scripture, and they quote Micah chapter 5, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I want you to see the response because when we look at these different characters at play, when the truth of Jesus is revealed, either the person of Jesus or the truth of his word, every one of us have some response. And I think we see all these responses played out in these people. So let's continue. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. If you like to write in your Bible, just write right there, liar. (laughs) What a liar. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. That's the Magi. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Was this a star? I don't know. This sure could have been. We're talking about the God of glory, the creator of heavens and earth. It could be a star. You know what, you know what I think it is? I think it's the Shekinah glory of the Messiah. You know, when, when you see the shepherds, when, when the angels appear and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think what they experienced is that these magi from the east, they they looked and they saw the the glory of Shekinah glory, the glory and splendor of the Messiah. And so God giving them direction again showed them the glory and the splendor of God and he led them to the place where the child was. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, not the stable, into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. How many of you hope for gold and frankincense and myrrh this Christmas? I do. <laughs> um, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their, uh, to their own country by another way. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. What kind of gifts are those for a baby? It's interesting because I believe this is God's provision God always provides for our needs before we know we have needs. Do you know that? God is always at work, even when I don't think so. And so here they are, they're getting ready to flee. God is ready to tell Mary and Joseph to get up and flee to Egypt. With no income, with no source of of being provided for, God is providing for their needs before they know they have a need. Because I believe this created the substance and the sustenance upon which they could live in Egypt until God called them back. Because right on the heels of this story, liar Herod goes and he destroys every child under two in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not huge. It was a small little area. It is still a small little area to this day. So it's not like they killed thousands of babies, but can I just tell you one is too many? One is too many. We talk about taking life from an innocent baby. One is too many. It was then and it is today. Amen. 
So God was meeting the needs of Mary and Joseph before they even knew they had a need. But, but I love looking at this because when you look, you see the response of different people. And I don't know about you, I see my response in these texts. I see my response because I look and I see the chief priests and, and, and they knew the scriptures. They pointed others to the Savior, but these chief priests would not go worship Jesus themselves. They knew it. They quoted scripture. How many of us quote scripture but don't live in obedience and surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords? We sit in Bible studies and we gain information, but we don't apply what we know. How often am I like the chief priests and the scribes? When God is saying, Dave, I want you to be like the magi who are seeking after me and bowing down in worship and humility. Or I could be like Herod who just opposes God altogether because he's running on his own agenda and he will not set aside his agenda and his power and his desires for God's. I find it absolutely interesting, though, because these priests, get this, are six miles away from the Messiah. Six miles, and they wouldn't go. Six miles, and they never saw him. Six miles, that's from here to Jubala Coffee over on Falls of Noose. If you're headed toward Briar Creek, it'll take you to First Watch where you can go have million dollar bacon in the presence of Almighty God. <laughs> Roughly six miles. And they knew, but they wouldn't go. How many of us know things about God? We know the truth of God through person of Jesus revealed. We know the truth of his word, but we don't act upon it because we're living in opposition to God or we're simply ignoring God. Because I see that in the text. The Magi were seeking the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Herod was opposing the King because it got in the way of his plan and his purpose, while the Jewish priests were simply ignoring him, running on their own religious agenda. So, what about you? This Christmas, I believe we are confronted with a choice that we're confronted with every day of our life. And that is to acknowledge who Jesus is, listen to the truth of his word, dive into the truth of his word, and apply what he's telling us. Because if we're not taking his truth and applying his truth, we're just like Herod. We're just like the Jewish priests. We're ignoring and we're opposing his agenda when God is going, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, I'm working even when you don't think so. So what's your response going to be? How will you respond to the truth revealed in the person of Jesus and the truth of his word? The third thing I see in this text is that it's revealed by his birth. The hope and the glory and the splendor of Jesus is revealed in his birth. When we look at how Jesus was born, he fulfilled prophecy. He was born of a virgin from the seed of a woman, right? Not the seed of a man, a seed of a woman, because God intervened. And so there was a miraculous process in how he was born, because that fulfilled prophecy. But it's amazing because where he was born is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Because Micah chapter 5 tells us that the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Is there anyone in the room who was born in Bethlehem? 
so the Messiah is not in this room, at least physically, right? I can't be the, the Messiah because I was not born. It was prophesied long before I was born that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I was born in Victory Memorial Hospital in Waukegan, Illinois. So I'm out. Regardless of what my wife may think, and you know. <laughs> Merry Christmas, baby, I am your gift. Um, God, that's so wrong. Uh, <laughs> she was in first service, not here, so do not tell her I said that. <laughs> oh, God is so good. He had a plan. He gave us the plan. He, he told us the plan. He gave us this map, and he told us, here is the Messiah. Here's where he will be born. Here's the descendants upon which he will be born, and it is so clear all the way down to the letter, to his very name. And so here Jesus is born in Bethlehem. I find it absolutely amazing the name Bethlehem. Do you know what the name Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Bethlehem, the house of bread. Is it any surprise that Jesus in his ministry would come back in John chapter 6? Look in verse 48. We'll throw it on the screen for you. He said, I am the bread of life. Somebody say amen. Jesus, the Messiah, born in Bethlehem, King of the Jews, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread comes, and in his public ministry, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Do you hear him? I am the bread of life. I am about to lay down my life for you so that you can have eternal life. I am the gift that is revealed. I am the Messiah. I am the Holy One. I am the Anointed One of Israel, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And I have come that you might have life, he tells us in John 10, 10, and have it more abundantly. So here's Jesus. He came the first time in incredibly great humility. He stepped out of the glory and splendor of heaven, took on human form in a small little baby, was wrapped in swaddling cloths, lied in a manger, a feeding trough. The God of the universe. What humility. He said, I am the bread of life. I've come to lay down my life to give my life for the world. I'm gonna give my flesh, my very being. I'm gonna sacrifice myself so that you can be redeemed and brought into right fellowship with God. What an incredible gift that has been revealed. No surprise that Jesus would tell us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, speaking of himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Somebody say amen. amen. The bread of life said, I've not come to be served. I didn't step out of the glory and splendor of heaven and, and be born and laid in a manger to, to be served. I came to serve you, to love you, to lay down my life for you as the bread of life. What an incredible truth that the Messiah is revealed to us. 
So Christmas is about the coming of Christ into the world. It's about the Son of God who existed eternally with the Father, as the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, as the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, it's about the birth of a man by a virgin conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit of God so that he is the Son of God. Not the way that you and I are children of God, but in an utterly unique way. It's what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, that it's about the coming of a man named Jesus, he says, whom in all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell It's about the coming of the fullness of time when all these prophecies, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies would come in the fullness of time just as they were told of the prophets of old, all culminating in one person revealed in the person of Jesus. That in Micah 5, 2, that a ruler would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah told us 700 years before the birth of Jesus that a child would be born called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah said a Messiah, an anointed one, uh, a shoot from the stem of Jesse, a son of David, would be born. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 said that a king would come, and he did, and his name is Jesus. What an incredible gift, but did you hear what he said? This Jesus that fulfilled the prophecies of old came to serve you. He came to serve you personally, intimately. Yes, he died for the world, but he died for you. He said, I've come to lay my life down as a ransom for many. This is a radical call, not to serve him, not to bucket up and do more. It's a call simply to receive his service, to receive what he has done for you. You can't earn salvation. You have to receive what he has done for you. Do you see the difference? Religion says you have to do more, you have to try harder. Jesus says there's not a thing in the world you can do, you have to be served by me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you know it well, you've heard it if you've been around church. If not, I'm going to give it to you. Here it is, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a what? It is a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. There's not a thing I can do to earn the gift of Jesus. He says, I've come to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Dave, you're included in many. If if you're listening to my voice, you are included in many. Whether you're in the room, whether you're online, God offers you an incredible gift of salvation. He says you can't earn that gift. That gift has to be received. You have to allow Jesus to serve you by doing what? By being the bread of life and laying down his life for you to pay the penalty for your sin. 
You can't earn that gift, but here's what I've discovered about a gift. This gift was purchased for someone. It's going to go in a box this week and get shipped off to Utah to my son and my daughter-in-law. But who does this gift belong to? It belongs to my wife because she bought it. <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? But, but see, it's, it's ours. We, we bought it with the intent of giving it to our son and daughter-in-law. Even has their name back here. So don't anyone come steal this gift. I'm going to hunt you down. But the gift belongs to us because it was paid for by us. That, that gift is not theirs until they receive it and accept it. And, and it's not revealed until they, they pull off the wrapper and they see what's in there. Listen to me, you can know all about the gift of salvation through the person of Jesus. You can quote the scriptures and never having received the gift. Do you hear me? You can know all about the gift, but never have received the gift. The gift is only yours when you reach out by grace through faith and you receive that gift and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I am trusting you as the bread of life. I am trusting you as the Messiah who was born in a manger to a virgin who lived a sinless life and died on the cross on my behalf because you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And God, I believe that you gave your life for me in the best way I know how I give you myself in complete brokenness is God forgive me of my sin come into my heart and make me the person you desire for me to be that is the receiving of a gift you can know the gift and the gift can be offered to you but it is not yours listen to me until you reach out and accept that gift by grace and in faith you trust him have you done that have you done that? You have a choice to make. And this morning, you can be, the, you can be like Herod and, and you can oppose the gift. You can be like the chief priests and the scribes and you can ignore the gift. Or you can be like the Magi who in awe said, this is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the Christ. And I am going to fall down and I'm going to worship him this morning. What is your choice with Jesus who has been revealed to you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in this place and online. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you're sitting in this place, you've never come to know Jesus Christ. I want you to know him personally. There is no greater gift. Your, your Christmas will change forever because of the hope that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? You see, you can know all about it. You can quote the verses and you can know the names, but not know him. The question is not so much, do you know him? Does he know you? He came to serve you. Has he served you through the blood of Jesus Christ in his broken flesh? He said, I am the bread of life and I'm going to lay my life down for you. Do you know him? The Bible tells us we have to confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know this Jesus who's been revealed to you? You can oppose him, you can ignore him, or you can surrender your heart and life to him this morning. In this room, I want to invite you to do that, just quietly where you are. You don't have to get up, you don't have to do anything, but you do have to give him your heart and life. You have to give up complete control and say, Lord Jesus, I give up. Thank you for serving me through your shed blood on the cross, through your broken body. You are the bread of life. 
God, the best way I know how I give you complete control of my life. Come into my heart, change me from the inside out and make me the person you want me to be. Maybe that simple prayer expresses the desire of your heart in this room this morning. I want to invite you to trust him right where you are. Trust him online. I invite you to trust him. You can text Jesus to the number that's on the screen. We'd love to have a conversation with you online. If you're in this room, I would love to have a conversation with you and help you understand what that decision truly means. But please do not walk away this morning knowing what you know. In just a moment, we're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper together because there's no greater way we could celebrate Christmas this morning than to know that the bread of life has come, born in Bethlehem, who laid down his life for you and me. And so I'm going to ask the band to play for just a moment. If you're at home and you don't have your elements, I invite you to grab those right now. If you're in the room and you didn't grab the elements on the way in, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate with us this morning. There's some elements at the table up front. There's some also in the back. Just use this moment as a time of reflection. The Word of God says when we come to the table to remember the Lord's death, that we do it right in remembrance of him that we should we should come that we should examine ourselves and so i want us each to just personally examine ourselves for a moment so as we come to the table together we do it in a manner that is worthy so in an attitude of prayer would you just prepare your heart as we come to the table together this morning